Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't think it's any surprise to you, my friends of the radio audience, that I've uh, been obsessed for a little while, more than a little while, a big while, over something uh, that occurs, well, it's been occurring every four years in the Olympics since 1984, when it uh, occurred right here in Southern California, whence this program originates today. And that is synchronized swimming. Thank you. But, um, you know, I don't, I don't, well, I didn't watch the Olympics this year, except for the uh, men's final basketball. Because I play basketball. Well, I play at basketball. Uh, but, uh, so I missed this story until it appeared in the uh, Los Angeles Times, the newspaper for people who are behind the curve. And it's a story about the name change, because it's no longer synchronized swimming. Did you know this? Are you behind the curve with me? Pushing back at widespread mockery surrounding the sport, officials rebranded it as artistic swimming before these games. They explained it would broaden its popularity, and I'm quoting here, and make it more appealing to sponsors and television executives. So just just so you know who all this is aimed at. Quote, synchronized swimming is looked at from the outside world, <laughs> outside synchronized swimming, as water ballet, still by some people, said Amy Thompson, co-captain of the Australian team. A lot of people don't know how difficult it is, she says. This has been a recurring theme in... Um, Statements from synchronized swimming people going way back to 1984. It's supposed to be in the Olympics because it's difficult. She says uh, now, continuing, so I think trying to shift away from that is an important thing for our sport to move forward, and that's what they've been trying to do with the name change. Unquote. Audrey Jolie of the Canadian team said the name change puts artistic swimming on par with artistic gymnastics commanding additional respect. I'm not writing this. I'm just reading it. The sport requires not only precise movements executed in unison, but also strength and stamina that can border on the extraordinary. While most swimmers usually hold... Here we go. This is the other thing they always say. While most swimmers usually hold their breath for about 20 seconds at a time as part of their routines while inverted underwater... Canada's Jacqueline Simoneau says she's capable of holding her breath for 5 minutes 11 seconds. Think of it. Okay, that's enough thinking of it. Quote, a lot of people compare it to a sprint, doing a running sprint on track, but like holding your breath while you do it, Jolie said. So that's why I think it's really hard, because it builds up the lactic acid in your body, but you have to keep going. And she adds, you have to smile while you do it. Unquote. Yep. That is the hard part right there. The uh, Atlantic magazine has a, a longer piece about the name change and about how difficult it was to bring about. It uh, fingers <laughs> uh, IOC President Thomas Bach as one of the chief 
advocates of the name change of synchronized swimming to artistic swimming and um, the pushback from many of the swimmers being more synchronized than artistic in their opposition. But it is now final. They competed this year in a new event called Artistic Swimming. And though I didn't watch it, even for me, it commanded even more respect. Hello, welcome to the show. From Southern California, an almost hot spot in the current wave 
think this is third now. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, for the first time in a long time, news from outside the bubble. Australian Prime Minister Scott Morrison, SCOMO, to nobody up here, has announced a reparations fund of uh, 280 million American dollars for members of Australia's indigenous population, including reparations for children who were forcibly removed from their families. That's right, reparations for separations. Quote, what happened is a shameful, shameful chapter in our national story, he told Parliament about the so-called stolen generation. This is the first such compensation of its kind in Australia. The announcement came after, uh, months after 800 indigenous survivors filed a class action lawsuit against the federal government. Under the new plan, the Australian government has announced a series of measures to improve education, life expectancy, preservation of languages, and other issues. It reflects a new model of working together where all governments work with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander stakeholders with an increased level of accountability, transparency, and responsibility. That was the tweet from the Indigenous Australians Minister. Eligible survivors will receive a one-off payment of 55600 American for the harm caused by their forced removal, with an additional 5000 for their healing. I can get you healing for less than that. This compensation is the biggest component of the package aimed at improving living standards for the indigenous people. Quote, it will never replace growing up with family. You can never replace that. I hope this will give some relief to the survivors of the stolen generations. That's uh, from the chief executive officer of the National Aboriginal Community Controlled Health Organization. The reparation covers people who were under 18 and taken away from their families from 1910 to the 1970s from the Australian Capital Territory and Northern Territory and the Jervis Bay Territory near New South Wales. In 2008, then Prime Minister Kevin Rudd had issued an apology to the members of the Stolen Generation. The injustices of the past, he said, must never happen again. Australia's indigenous people are at the bottom of most of the nation's social and economic indicators. They make up for 3% of the population and have poorer health, lower life expectancy, and lower education levels compared to other ethnic groups. So Canada did that. The United States did that. Australia did that. It's like a thing. And more news from outside the bubble. UK cabinet ministers are advising all... UK nationals in Afghanistan to leave that country because of the, quote, worsening security situation, unquote. They've also warned people, quote, not to rely, unquote, on the foreign office for help with evacuations. You're on your own, mate. The Foreign Commonwealth and Development Office's website was updated this week advising against all travel to Afghanistan. Like something's wrong there or something. The change in advice comes in the face of growing turmoil in that country as Taliban forces sweep across it. The website advises people to, quote, leave now by commercial means because of the worsening security situation and the level of consular assistance the British embassy can provide in Afghanistan is extremely limited, including in a crisis. 
in arranging your departure from Afghanistan, ensure your travel documents are up to date and that you have the necessary visas for onward travel. Terrorists are very likely to try to carry out attacks. Specific methods of attack are evolving and increasing in sophistication. You should note an overall increased threat to Western interests in Kabul. Follow the instructions of lo- <laughs> local authorities. There is a high threat of kidnapping throughout the country. That was a report from The Guardian. And um, echoing it, if not amplifying it, this from Deutsche Welle, the, the uh, German news agency, Afghanistan faces an existential crisis after a surge in Taliban attacks. An analysis by the special U.S. Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction, the SIGAR, said strikes by militants had increased since uh, the United States struck a deal February 2020 when uh, somebody else was president to pull out after nearly two decades. Reports said Taliban attacks on Afghan targets surged from 6,700 in the three months leading up to the agreement to 13,000 in the period from September to November last year. Attacks have stayed above 10,000 in every three-month period since then. The inspector general said, he quote, the overall trend is clearly unfavorable to the Afghan government, which could face an existential crisis if it isn't addressed and reversed. Yeah, that's going to happen. Under the peace deal agreed with the Trump administration, the Taliban promised Afghanistan would not become a haven for militants and vowed to negotiate a similar pact with the Afghan government. The Taliban now controls more territory in Afghanistan than at any time since they were ousted from power in 2001. So that was, um, I guess, a very temporary ouster. An, aus- an, 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 an ouster in name only, an oino. The Doha Agreement, according to the Seagar, has helped unleash an offensive that has left Afga- Afghan forces unprepared after only 20 years of our help. That's led to an increase in civilian deaths. U.S. and NATO data say there were only 510 civilian deaths in the first three months of 2020, but after that the numbers surged, according to the report. Sopko said, he's the Inspector General, said the report offered a sobering picture that contrasted with, quote, the pervasiveness of over-optimism, unquote, of some U.S. government officials. The news coming out of Afghanistan, his report said, this quarter has been bleak, use the same word, to describe the security situation in Afghanistan. Warning that the Afghan army facing this new Taliban offensive, quote, appeared surprised and unready and is now on its back foot, unquote. Uh, I think the front foot has been set overseas for repairs. Particularly concerning, he adds, was the speed and the ease with which the Taliban seemingly wrested control of districts in the north, once a bastion of anti-Taliban sentiment. We like the Taliban now, says the north of Afghanistan. News of Inspector General, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, A copyrighted feature of bleakness 
And now, turning to uh, nukeness instead of bleakness, one hears all the time from uh, supporters of nuclear energy that the waste problem is just about to be solved. The uh, fact that this stuff remains incredibly radioactive for a time frame that far exceeds the time frame in which humans have walked the earth, they say is not nothing really to be concerned about. We'll bury it. That'll be the end of it. Au contraire, mon frère. This from the Santa Fe, New Mexican. Los Alamos National Laboratory has identified 45 barrels of radioactive waste so potentially explosive due to its being mixed with incompatible chemicals that crews have been told not to move those barrels and instead to just block off the area around the containers. This is according to another government watchdog report. Crews have worked to ferret out drums containing volatile compounds and move them to a more secure domed area of the lab. After the Defense Nuclear Security Safety Board issued a scathing report saying there were possibly hundreds of barrels of unstable nuclear waste. Safety Board estimated that an exploding waste canister could expose workers to 760 rem, far beyond the threshold of a lethal dose. The uh, Safety Board, in its latest weekly report, uh, said the contractor in charge of cleaning up the lab's legacy waste has pegged 60 barrels with volatile mixtures and has relocated 15 drums to the domed area. With the drummers, I hope, 45 barrels are deemed too dangerous to move, raising questions of what ultimately can be done with them and how hazardous it would be to keep them in their current location. Quote, the current restrictions are that the containers shall not be moved. There's a marked buffer zone established around each container of potential concern, and intrusive operations are prohibited within that zone. Officials of the Department of Energy's Environmental Management Office say they can com- can't comment on the report or how the lab stores waste. Why not? Lack of time to answer questions? It's the best reason I, I can think of. Volatile waste mixtures have received more attention since 2014 when a waste container from the Los Alamos lab, packaged with a blend of organic cat litter and nitrate salts, burst in an underground chamber of the waste isolation pilot plant near Carlsbad, New Mexico. The radioactive release contaminated the storage site so extensively it shut down for three years and cost, you know, $2 billion to clean up. Quote, I think the revelations are extraordinary, says Dan Hirsch, retired director of environment and nuclear policy programs at UC Santa Cruz. He continues, it's troubling that some of the most dangerous substances on Earth, plutonium, are mixed with volatile materials that could accidentally cause an explosion or fire that could release them. And it's troubling that the authorities let this happen and don't seem to know what to do about it. Unquote. Hirsch said some radioactive vapors escaped from the WIPP's underground site to the open air. Federal reports have described a small amount of radioactivity slipping through exhaust vents. They have since been sealed. Never too late. 
The fact that any radiation was emitted from below ground illustrates how destructive a waste barrel blowing up above ground could be, according to Hirsch. In the uh, report, the safety board said lab personnel had failed to analyze chemicals present in hundreds of containers of transuranic nuclear waste, making it possible for incompatible chemicals to cause a container to explode. Like go boom. Crews also never sufficiently estimated how much radiation would be released by such an event. The board also noted that some of the lab's facilities store radioactive waste without any engineered controls or safeguards aside from the containers themselves. Hirsch said no one seems to have any idea what to do with waste that's too dangerous to move, not the lab, the energy department, or the safety board. I've got an idea. Keep it where it is. Waste with that kind of hair trigger should only be analyzed in a hot cell with walls several feet thick, blast-proof glass, and robotic arms that a technician operates to handle materials, according to Hirsch. But the lab would have to find a way to get the waste barrels to the hot cell, which is the problem in the first place. Problems should never have been created in the first place, he says. Now that it's been created, they seem to be throwing their hands up and saying, we don't know what to do. Unquote. That's how good the nuclear waste situation is, ladies and gentlemen. In the hands of your federal government and mine. Just imagine how good it will be in the hands of the uh, private corporations that will bury it forever. Or for, you know, 500,000 years till it, co- till it cools off just a little bit. News of our friend the Atom. And now... It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart world after all. It's a smart, smart world. It's getting smarter. The fire in a large battery using Tesla equipment in Australia is out. Did you hear about this? Four days after it started. Four-day fire. There, That's what I call range. The uh, fire authority in the state of Victoria wrote that the fire was declared under control on uh, Monday. It, bl- it fired up the preceding Friday. It burned all weekend. Oh, somebody's working on the weekend. Crews struggle to contain the blaze because water reacts with lithium-iron batteries to produce fire. (laughs) Well, you wouldn't want to put out the fire with water that reacts to produce fire, would you? The um, fire authorities confirmed the blaze took place in a megapack. That's Tesla's shipping container-sized batteries that can store 3 megawatt-hours of power. Project using the Mega Pack, 210 of them, is called the Big Battery. That sounds like a name that uh, a certain Mr. Musk might have made up. It'll have the capacity of 300 megawatt hours once repaired. The cause of the fire remains unknown. Investigations have commenced. The officials, fire officials, said the fire is the first known such incident to afflict a Mega Pack. Site is still being monitored. Two adjacent megapacks were damaged by heat. Lucky they weren't in your car. 
Facebook, which has repeatedly touted its transparency efforts this week, disabled the accounts of independent ad transparency researchers. This according to the Register British Tech Journal. Uh, Facebook said it did so in the name of privacy, a source of persistent scandal for the corporation. It uh, disabled the accounts, apps, pages, and platform access for NYU's Ad Observatory Project and participating it, uh, researchers because their work violated its rules. It studied political ads using unauthorized means to access and collect data from Facebook, the company said. Violating our terms of service is what they were complaining about, Facebook. The NYU Ad Observatory created a browser extension called Ad Observer that scrapes data from Facebook in a way that avoids detection systems, said the Facebook spokesperson. Today's action doesn't change our commitment to providing more transparency. A privacy researcher, former FTC technologist, dismissed Facebook's justification and the idea that such drastic action was required. Yet again, he says Facebook is trying to use privacy to fulfill a to fulfill a policy goal of reducing transparency around ad serving. Unquote. The reason Facebook would do so, he said, is that the company has faced a lot of criticism around how it targets ads, and not just political ads, which is what the NYU researchers were studying. Facebook's stance, he said, is particularly ironic given its failure to defend against the scraping of actual consumer data that produced a massive spillage of personal info from 533 million Facebook accounts last April. The Ad Observer extension, he said, isn't collecting personal information about Facebook users, just information about ads that are meant to be shown publicly. Almost hypocritical. And British Member of Parliament Maria Miller wants a parliamentary debate on whether digitally generated nude images need to be banned. I heard all sorts of ears perk up. It comes as another service which allows users to undress women in photos using artificial intelligence spreads rapidly on social media. This report from BBC. The website in question had more than 5 million visits in Japan alone, according to one analyst. Celebrities, including an Olympic athlete, are among those who users claim to have Here's a new word. Nudified. Deep Sukibi's website promises users it can reveal the truth hidden under closed. Launched in 2020, it's unclear who's behind it. According to its Twitter page, it is an AI-leveraged nudifier whose mission is to, quote, make all men's dreams come true. Unquote. And in a blog post, the developers say they're working on a more powerful version. The MP, Maria Miller, told the BBC it was time to consider a ban on such tools. Parliament needs to have the opportunity to debate whether nude and sexually explicit images generated digitally without consent should be outlawed. She said it should be an offense. If software providers develop this technology, they are complicit in a very serious crime and should be required to design their products to stop this happening, she said. She's been campaigning against so-called revenge porn for the last six years. 
She wants the issue to be included in the forthcoming online safety bill. Doesn't that make you feel better, just hearing the name of that bill? Technology which is designed to objectify and humiliate women should be shut down. Said Vanessa Morse, chief executive of the campaign group Cease Center to End All Sexual Exploitation. Nudifier tools, as they're known, are not new. Gee, where have we been? Deep Nude was launched a couple years ago. The creators quickly withdrew the service and offered refunds following a backlash. They acknowledged the probability people would misuse it was, quote, very high. But similar devices remain on the market, many many using the Deep Nude source code, which was made publicly available by the original developers. Many often produce clumsy, sometimes laughable results, but the new website uses a proprietary algorithm, which one analyst described as putting it years ahead of the competition. A developer behind one of the many nudification tools, Ivan Bravo, acknowledged that such creations, quote, are not ethical, mainly in the way it's currently used and the way the original developer started advertising it as, quote, nude your friends. However, he adds, we don't live in a perfect world. And people have always been looking for ways to do this, so it was only a matter of time before such a technology came into existence. He added the fact that the technology was only currently able to nudify women was sexist. Personally, he adds, I would also like to have a version for nude men, and even fictional characters like anime, so that all people can enjoy or experiment with this kind of adult Entertainment. Yeah. 
This is the show. And speaking of creepy, you may have noticed that uh, virtually every politician in New York State and the president of the United States has now called for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo to resign. This is in the wake of a report from the New York Attorney General's office, which um, provides findings that uh, at least 11 women have complained and reported that uh, the governor sexually harassed them, uh, either verbally or physically, or both. Why not both while you're at it? The uh, governor issued a uh, videotaped statement in response to the attorney general's findings, and uh, his lawyer attacked the attorney general in a uh, press conference late in the week. And uh, I'm being informed that uh, just now, this is interesting, just now uh, the governor has released a new pre-recorded statement. So if we can join the network, here we go. This is not an easy thing to do. It wasn't easy the last time I spoke to you on this subject, and it isn't getting any easier. Still, I have to return to this topic because politicians and newspapers seem to have nothing better to do than repeat and amplify the unjustified complaints against me. Many of the accusations come from women who choose to remain anonymous. I respect their desire. As a matter of fact, I admire their desire as well as their expression of that desire and others. So let me just take a moment to explain what has been misunderstood in my encounters with these highly competent members of their gender. One woman has complained that I drew my finger across her torso, and she interpreted that as an inappropriate and sexually tinged intrusion into her admittedly quite attractive privacy. In fact, it was nothing of the sort. On the day in question, she and I had been talking about appendectomies. At one point, to illustrate the scar that a female relative of mine had had after such a procedure, I drew my finger across her totally clothed torso. Nothing less, but nothing more. Another extremely valuable and fetching member of my office team and I were bantering about car problems. I attempted to show her the somewhat comic results when I attempted to fix the suspension in my official vehicle, a procedure that involved getting under the vehicle from behind. Mistakenly, I assumed she understood there was nothing more to my actions than that hopefully amusing anecdote. And for that, I'm completely but innocently sorry. Finally, for the purposes of this statement, a crucial part of what I jocularly referred to as my coven of high-level female advisors was in my private office when she as she stated to the Attorney General, described me as gyrating in front of her in a deliberately sexual manner. In fact, 
And this is what I explained to her on that day as she suddenly began to flee. My jockey shorts had bunched up unexpectedly as I stood up. And while holding a cup of hot coffee, I attempted to resolve my momentary discomfort without the use of my hands. I want to make clear that I do not blame the shapely advisor for misinterpreting my behavior. It's a mistake that could have been made by any comely visitor. And for that, I am unaggressively apologetic. I understand the trauma that results from sexual harassment. I would never want to inflict such feelings on anyone ever again, particularly on women helping me serve the needs of all New Yorkers, including my own. That is not who I am or who I ever have been, although I understand perhaps all too well how an accomplished and well-put-together woman might think that's who I'm becoming. I'm 63 years old, and I don't have all the time in the world. One of these complaints will, in the fullness of time, have its day in court, and if this particular woman imagines that she was assaulted by me, it will be interesting to see her reaction to what my attorney may well do to her, because in all honesty, that is who he is. We have much work to still accomplish, and I will not let that work interfere with my defense of the people of New York and their decision to trust me to help them as well as myself. Thank you. Now, news of our friends in the land of 15,000 princes, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Amnesty International has accused Saudi Arabia of launching a relentless crackdown on dissidents in the kingdom after it ended its run as president of the G20. Riyadh led the global forum for the world's wealthiest countries for all of last year and pushed through some changes claiming to have scrapped the death sentence for minors and banned public floggings. But a new report by Amnesty International said authorities, quote, have brazenly intensified the persecution of human rights defenders and dissidents and stepped up executions over the past six months. Unquote. Amnesty found that executions and special trials of human rights activists have been stepped up ever since the G20 presidency ended in December. At least 40 people have been given the death penalty since the start of this year. The Saudi Human Rights Commission documented 27 executions last year which it said represented an 85% drop compared to the year before. Researchers also found that at least 13 human rights activists have been convicted by the country's specialized criminal court. Amnesty calls that court a counter-terror court notorious for due process violations, including mass trials. In many cases, it says, defendants are held incommunicado in solitary confinement for months and denied access to lawyers. The brief respite and repression, coinciding with Saudi Arabia's hosting of the G20 summit, indicates that any illusion of reform was simply a PR drive, says the Amnesty Deputy Director for the Middle East. And he says it like it's a bad thing. 
Now, keeping up with microplastics, baby turtles are more likely to consume plastic waste that pollutes the ocean than adults. Adult turtles, I presume. Because of their eating habits. That's the finding of an international team of researchers. An 18-month study has found hatchlings and juvenile turtles often inadvertently ingest microplastics because they mistake them for food. That can lead to malnutrition, internal injuries, and suffocation. That's bad for the turtles. More than 120 turtles from around the world that have been stranded or accidentally caught in fishing nets were examined as part of the study by researchers from universities in Australia and the United Kingdom. When they're in offshore oceanic currents after nesting, says one researcher, they're eating whatever they can, whatever looks and smells like food. Unfortunately, they're small pieces of plastic mixed up with the small pieces of plankton, and that's what they're eating. One turtle found in the Pacific Ocean had ingested 144 pieces of plastic. Ladies and gentlemen, that's a super turtle. That's an event that could be in the Olympics before long. Turtle plastic eating? Sure. I'd watch that. These are really small turtles, smaller than the ones people would be familiar with. We found that nearly all of them have eaten plastic, says the researcher. A study published in Frontiers in Marine Science means plastic ingestion and entanglement has now been documented for every species of marine turtle. The few, the proud, the marine turtles. Now news of the godly. Construction of houses of worship plunged in the United States over the past 20 years. Building boomed in most other categories, according to Axios. Construction spending is one lens for examining what society values. Construction on religious facilities hit a record low annualized rate of $3 billion in June, a 66% decline from the $9 billion record high in August 2003. That's according to census data. Building on amusement and recreation activities, on the other hand, surged 42%. Schools, offices, and sewage and waste facilities also enjoyed rising spending. Virtual church became common. During last year's COVID shutdown, many congregations continued live streams as they reopened. Worshippers are increasingly meeting in warehouses and schools. There's a number of churches on the market that can be bought, according to David Schoen, the United Church of Christ Church Building and Loan Fund, so there's not a whole lot of new construction. Now, a note about Dominion, which we've been given, by the way. You can look it up. The Tasmanian devil was a prey to devil facial tumor disease, first discovered in 1996, known as the most common reason for the decline in the number of Tasmanian devils. So to save that species, a bunch of them were taken to uh, an island, Maria Island, east of Tasmania. On that island lived 3,000 little penguins, When the Tasmanian devils were introduced in 2012, the penguin population slowly started to decrease. 
Tasmanian devils are known to prey on birds and fish. A recent study conducted by BirdLife Tasmania showed the penguin population now has disappeared from the island. Quote, every time humans have deliberately or accidentally introduced mammals to oceanic islands, there's always been the same outcome, a catastrophic impact on one or more bird species. That's according to a representative of BirdLife Tasmania. The animals were also responsible for wiping out short-tailed shearwaters on the same island. Because we've got dominion. And now, the Apologies of the Week. So sorry. Japanese Prime Minister Suga apologized this week after skipping about a page of his speech during a ceremony marking the 76th anniversary of the atomic bombing on Hiroshima. That occurred Friday this week. He skipped a significant proportion of his prepared statement after saying Japan, quote, adheres to the three non-nuclear principles and has no nuclear weapons. According to Mainichi Shimbun, he may have unintentionally omitted paragraphs that said Japan was the only country to have suffered atomic bombings and that his country seeks to rid the world of nuclear weapons. He later apologized at a press conference according to Kyodo News. Dayline Los Angeles rapper Da Baby was dropped from the lineup of two more music festivals this week despite a third apology for homophobic remarks he made last month. The organizers of the iHeartRadio and Austin City Limits Festival said in statements that Da Baby would no longer be performing at their events. That comes after he was dropped from Lollapalooza in Chicago and the upcoming Governor's Ball in New York and Day in Vegas event in Las Vegas. He apologized for a third time this week for remarks he made at a July 23 concert in Miami when he asked the audience to hold up their cell phone lights if they, quote, didn't show up today with HIV, AIDS, any of them deadly sexually transmitted diseases that will make you die in two to three weeks, or if they were not men who performed sex acts in car parks. That's what he said then. This week he said, I want to apologize to the LGBTQ plus community for the hurtful and triggering comments I made. Again, I apologize for my misinformed comments about HIV AIDS, and I know education on this is important. Love to all. God bless. His previous apologies have been criticized as incomplete or insincere. Elton John Madonna and Dua Lipa are among the prominent musicians who have condemned his remarks. He also lost a branding deal with the clothing line Boohoo Man. Just speaking of music, Justin Bieber apologized this week for posting music from controversial country star Morgan Wallen. After the singer Bieber posted a screenshot of Wallen's latest and wrote, Love this album! He later retracted his now-deleted statement and explained that he was unaware of the recent controversy surrounding the country singer. Quote, I had no idea that the guy's music I posted was recently found saying racist comments. As you know, I don't support or tolerate any sort of racism or discrimination. He wrote, I had no idea. I sincerely apologize to anyone I offended. Unquote. Wallen made headlines earlier this year when he used a racial slur in video footage released by TMZ. That video circulated online. It saw Wallen arriving home with some friends and yelling profanities, including the N-word. He subsequently acknowledged acknowledging that he was on hour 72 of a bender. Oh, well, then that's okay. 
The Manchester, New Hampshire Chief of Police, Alan Aldenberg, apologized for a recruitment post on Facebook that listed qualified immunity as one of the benefits of joining the department. In a statement posted on Facebook, Aldenberg called the mention of qualified immunity inappropriate and said he took full responsibility for it. The message was deleted after receiving hundreds of comments questioning who the department was looking for to attract by listing qualified immunity as a benefit. That's a controversial legal doctrine. It's often used to shield police officers who engage in misconduct from liability. And now, New Zealand. New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern watched as members of the Pacific Island community pulled a large white mat over her head, completely covering her. Moments later, they removed it and embraced her. Part of an emotional ceremony at the Auckland Town Hall during which Ardern formally apologized for a racially charged part of the nation's history known as the Dawn Raids. That's when Pacifica people were targeted for deportation in the mid-1970s during aggressive home raids by authorities to find, convict, and deport visa overstayers. The raids often took place very early in the morning or late at night. By being covered in the mat, Ardern was taking part in a traditional Samoan ritual known as an ifoga, in which the subject seeks forgiveness by exposing themselves to a kind of public humiliation. She told a tearful crowd of several hundred that the government was offering a formal and unreserved apology. Quote, the government expresses its sorrow, remorse, and regret that the dawn raids and random police checks occurred and that these actions were ever considered appropriate, she said. At the time of the raids, many Pacific people had come to New Zealand on temporary visas to help fill a need for workers in the nation's factories and fields, but the government appeared to turn on the community by deciding those workers were no longer needed. People who didn't look like white New Zealanders were told they should carry identification to prove they weren't overstayers and were often randomly stopped in the street or even at schools and churches. Even though many overstayers at the time were British or American, only Pacific people were targeted for deportation. At least they didn't send them to schools. And uh, I'm speaking to you from very near an ocean where 17 million gallons of raw sewage have recently been dumped. Yes, it's Southern California. The fallout over that sewage spill in Santa Monica Bay has reached federal lawmakers. Congressman Ted Lieu has asked the Environmental Protection Agency and NOAA to open an investigation into the Hyperion Water Reclamation Plant. That's the plant that has charged the raw sewage into beach waters after debris clogged its system in mid-July. Plant operators have been criticized for failing to notify anyone of the spill in a timely manner and for subsequent continued discharge of partially treated wastewater into the ocean. Given the severity of recent incidents, the subsequent and continued discharge of untreated and partially treated wastewater near highly trafficked beaches and the lack of clear communication by the city of Los Angeles, an investigation into the facility's operations response and environmental impact is warranted, said the congressman. The County Board of Supervisors received a report requested by one of them, Janice Hahn, discussing the failures during the meeting. County Public Health Director Dr. Barbara Ferrer apologized for the lack of communication from her department regarding the incident. Apparently, the... uh, Water at several beaches is still 
full of crap. No, I mean literally. The massive disruptions that have inconvenienced, angered, and stranded tens of thousands of Spirit Airlines passengers since last week and continued this week. The budget carrier again canceled more than 40% of its flights. That's an extension of disruptions that are stressing summer travel. The company blamed staffing shortages, system outages, and the weather. No other airline faced problems at the same scale. The company said in a statement that its plan to recover from the current operational disruption is working and that cancellation rates are moving in the right direction. The uh, CEO, Ted Christie, said he expected to return to normal by the middle of next week. And he said, I'm truly sorry. Multiple athletes from Australia's Olympic team are facing discipline for their behavior on a return flight from Tokyo. According to uh, a report by Seven News in Australia, members of the rugby and soccer teams instigated a state of unruliness on a 10-hour flight back home to Sydney, which included a number of transgressions stemming from alleged excessive alcohol consumption. The players were loud and disruptive to other passengers, failed to respond to requests made by flight attendants, and rendered the plane's toilet unusable. The airline did bring the athletes' behavior to the attention of the Australian Olympic Committee. The uh, airline episode was accompanied by news of the state of Olympic Village rooms vacated by the members of the Australian rugby and rowing teams. Some rooms were allegedly left in unacceptable condition, including one room which had a hole in the wall. Those involved in that incident allegedly apologized and will not be disciplined. According to Vice News, the wall in question was described as flimsy and temporary. And a Japanese mayor apologized this week after having his head bitten off on social media for chomping down on the gold medal of a hometown Olympic hero. In spite of COVID concerns, Nagoya Mayor Kawamura outraged his COVID-aware compatriots by taking off his mask and bringing the medal of a victorious softball pitcher to his mouth as the cameras were rolling. Fighting medals to test for gold was a common jokey gesture among victorious athletes pre-COVID. It's frowned upon now. And as I mentioned at the top of this story, the mayor has apologized. Which is why he's in the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
ladies and gentlemen, that's it for this week's edition of the show. Back next week, same time on the same station, and on your time on your audio device of choice. And it'll be just like renaming this program L Artistic Show, if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much. Uh-huh, tip of the cha show chapeau to the San Diego desk, the Hawaii desk, and the Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh, WWNO New Orleans. The email address for this program, the playlist of the music heard here on your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, at TheHarryShearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans' flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from the artistic home of the homeless.